Welcome to 17 Strong. Victories don't come by accident. Here's your host, Steve Deshera. Thanks, Andy. Welcome to another 17 Strong podcast. I'm your host, Steve Teixeira, along with my beautiful wife, Holly Teixeira. Hi, babe. How are you? Good. So we are finishing up with uh, Ryan's story. This will be part three. We'll try and get it all done in part three, but there's so much to tell. It could go on to part four. In part two, we recapped uh, 17 Strong being born. We talked um, about the time that he spent at UCLA Santa Monica, some of his food cravings, um, how he was motivated to go to school in the winter and dropping him off for the dorm living and Mr. Mav and also some of his summer baseball at Allen Hancock college. Yeah. So we're going to be picking up with his trip back to Colorado to start his fall semester, which would be his first uh, semester as a Maverick. Yeah. So we moved him into a home in Colorado, and uh, he was be, he would be living with his friend uh, Garrett Ball and uh, another roommate, Drews, um, which were also part of the baseball team. Um, so we um, were there moving him in. We were really excited, um, and he was excited. <laughs> he was excited to be um, in college and um, feeling healthy and feeling good. So... Yeah. And also starting school. He had a good summer here and, you know, working out at Hancock and everything was starting to get uh, his groove back on, if you will. Yeah, he was. He was looking forward to it. Um, I know they had to report a little bit early for baseball. And um, I think the first week of school, he started and then they went to a challenger baseball World Series is yeah, what it was. It's exactly right. I remember when he was um, working out with the team because they would work out in the summertime and they're very strict because of NCAA rules about how much time they can practice, what they can and can't do, and things That's like right. that. And we would get video clips, you know, sent home with him during yeah. batting practice and just smiles ear to ear and just, That's you right. know, really getting back, um, into the groove of things and just really, yeah. getting into shape and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But I know that he was particularly excited about this challenger thing. They had fundraised for quite some time to gather the money because it was kind of a once in a lifetime thing that these special needs kids were going to be going to Pennsylvania and they were going to be playing on the field um, where the World Series is, the Little League World Series is. Um, it was really cool and um, he could not wait to be a part of that. They all partnered up and had buddies. I think we talked about that previously, but this was super, this was the first week of school. So I think he went to a couple of classes and then he was going to be gone for a week. And some of these kids hadn't even been on the airplane yet. And particularly his buddy had never been on the airplane. So he was um, looking forward to this trip very much. Um, I believe it was a five or six day um event and they um played some baseball which was um televised 
Uh, yeah, we got to watch that on TV. That was so neat. Yeah, I think we actually tried to go to Pennsylvania with them, and we just couldn't get it to work because Aaron had a football game, his first football game. But I remember talking to him, and he was like, this is the best experience I've ever had, and I'm so glad that I went, and I'm meeting some amazing people, and connecting with these special needs kids. You know, it brought tears to our eyes just watching this because these special needs kids are running the bases in wheelchairs. So their buddy would push them around the bases yeah. in a wheelchair or some of them would be um, on crutches and they would run with run their these, crutches. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they played with all of their heart. Oh, it was and it priceless. Was Absolutely incredible priceless. And they watch. would be so excited because they would tell them their name and their number. They would announce them and what their hobbies were. And I can remember a couple of them. They were so cute. And they'd say, what's your hobby? And chewing gum. You're yeah. like, oh, that was so cute. Um, but it was a really um, special experience. And his... Uh, challenger buddy was Malia. Malia. And Malia is very near and dear to our heart still today. Um, we see her quite a bit. And um, but I know that and Ryan and her were actually in the newspaper when they were at in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So um he talked her into not hitting off of the tee and she was nervous and scared about that and she ended up getting a hit and got to run the bases with Ryan and um it was a really special th- event. It was it was amazing. I kept telling him, "Are you sure you don't need money to go?" And he's like, "Nope, they've fundraised, and this is all um, all been fundraised for." So it was a super cool uh, event that he got to be a part of. It was really awesome, and and uh, to watch the his teammates and the challenger kids all get together for this. It was not only emotional, but it was exciting, and they had fun, and they continue even to this day to be um, friends with each other. Yeah, it was definitely a bond because you spent so much time together, and I do want to say that their parents were there, so the buddies got to, you know, they stayed with their parents in the room, and then the buddies had um, time, free time, so that was nice, Um, so everybody got a break you know, their parents got a break, but the parents were not allowed to be on the field. So some of these parents were really nervous because they had to give their special needs kid to a challenge to the Maverick baseball player to be in charge of while they were on the field. And that's um, a little nerve wracking for a parent, I could imagine. But um, I think they did fantastic. They did super well. And, um, and the other team too, you know, it's not about the score. It wasn't about anything like that. It was, wasn't about three outs. Um, it was strictly just going through the batting order and allowing them to, to hit. Don't you remember that one little girl and she did a twirl oh, at yeah. the, mm-hmm. and she did a twirl and then she was ready to hit the ball. It was so priceless. Um, it was great. So anyway, um, so while Ryan was back there, he ended up catching a cold. Along with everybody else. Yeah. He, yeah, it was, you know, the airplane and the bus rides and the air conditioning. Um, and then it was super hot. So, yeah, everybody kind of caught a cold. We didn't think really much about it. Nobody thought anything of it. And, you know, they got home and uh, Ryan had said he got a cold, but he felt fine. And so we, you know, told him just get some uh, vitamin C and some over-the-counter um, cold medicine and see if you start to feel better. And it was about a week and his cold had still not gotten better. He was continuing to 
work out with the team. He was um, doing sprints. He was, you know, ground ball drills, pop fly drills, everything that they were doing. And he just wasn't getting better. And he finally told Garrett, he goes, I got to go to the doctor. You know, something's, something's not right. I, I'm just, I'm exhausted. All he wanted to do was, was sleep. Mm-hmm. But Ryan wouldn't let that stop him from being part of the team. So he finally called home. And I remember uh, we were um, at a wedding when he called. Yeah, we were at a wedding. We were at a wedding. And he said, um, Dad, I, I still don't feel good. I'm going to go to the uh, to the school doctor and uh, see if I can get some antibiotics. So he went to the school doctor, and the school doctor was a little bit concerned because of Ryan's history. And so he um, did some lab work, and as soon as they did did the lab work, he told him, he says, you need to go over to the emergency room right now. He says, something's not right. So Ryan calls home and said, they're sending me to the emergency room, but don't worry about it. I got this. I can handle it. You don't need to come out. Typical Ryan. Yep. Typical Ryan. But you remember that we both had a check in our stomach and, you know, we said, no, we're, we're on our way. So we left the wedding and ran home, grabbed a bag, and hit the road to Colorado, even yeah. though Ryan was telling us not to come to Colorado. Yeah, exactly. And his girlfriend was at the wedding we were at, right. and so we had her pack a bag, and we drove all night. We drove all night. And um, and meanwhile, the coach was with him in the ER. And his teammates. And his, yeah, his teammates were trickling in, but um, yeah, they definitely were thinking about doing a – Spinal, what was that? Well, they called? did a spinal tap and they were, they had told us that there was two things that they were looking for. Um, it could be a leukemia and it could also have been mono. I guess mono presents very similar symptoms. So while we were headed to Colorado, I reached out to his doctors at uh, UCLA and told them what was going on. And they in turn talked to the doctors in Colorado and his doctor at UCLA called us and said, look, I'm really concerned because we typically see an acute myeloid leukemia show up within five years post-chemotherapy. And Ryan was only six months post-chemotherapy. So he was really concerned that this could be an AML. So we were just, I mean, everybody was it was like a kick in the stomach. It really yeah. was. Yeah. For and sure. um we stayed in the hospital with them and we waited for the the results and it came back as AML. It's one of our worst nightmares. Yeah, it was it was definitely a blow. And oh, that was because it was a side effect that the chemotherapy from the sarcoma right. gave him was this AML. Um, which of course they didn't tell us that, but we don't believe that it would have changed the treatment. But um, yeah, it was um, came back AML. Um, so basically, they did not want to treat him in Colorado. They wanted him back in UCLA. So right. Ryan again, he never complained one moment. He just one thing he requested is that he had a meeting with all of his teammates. Mm-hmm. We had fifty-two kids in one room. With, at the hospital. At the hospital. Ryan had no shirt on. He had a mask on because he was 
not making, you know, wanted to make sure that he didn't get more infected or more sick. Sicker. He was sick. He was, he had a hard time breathing because he was just so congested. So, congested. Right. so um, and he also had a cough with it. So, but his attitude was incredible the whole time. And we weren't privy to the meeting with his teammates. In fact, no. neither were the coaches. No, the coaches were not, a, not allowed to be there as well. And the hospital gave them a room that yep. he had a meeting and everybody gathered around Ryan and they rallied around him. And there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of hugging. There was a lot of heartbreak. But through it all, Ryan never changed his attitude. He said, don't worry, I'll be back. We're going to go get those rings yep. and we're going to, we're going to be together again. Yep. He, yeah, he, that was, he was convinced of that for sure. He never, never wavered, never wavered. He was so positive from, from the very first moment that this came about. Um, but I, we, Steve and I don't even know what, was said in that room. And I don't know that it's necessary that we know, but we know that there was a special bond with this team. This team was, was super special and they bonded over this diagnosis because it was hard to see a teammate that was just got there. And now he has to go through another fight. So, um, um, so we had 52 of them or something crazy in this room and, and, they all they didn't want to leave, but no, they um they had to because they were working on a medevac flight for us and they couldn't go in the medevac. So we had a friend take Steve's truck and me and Nicole he drove us home. Right. And Steve and Ryan were, went into the medevac. Yeah, that took a while. Um that ended up being a late night flight home. It was a very an emotional flight. Um as you know, Ryan was waving to everybody and talking to everybody. Oh my it was, gosh. He, was he has like, pictures of him. It was like he was in a parade. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. was not a big deal to him. He right. just wanted to, to go get this over with and get back to school. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, which created a whole nother set of problems, if you will, because with the sarcoma, we were able to go in the hospital and then come home for a couple of weeks with leukemia, we had to be isolated. And that was a whole nother thing. So we, again, learned right. all the stuff that we had to do. And then we were at the Santa Monica location the first time, which was kind of a smaller hospital, which kind of felt. Right. And that's where they took us back to only to get them in California because there was no room at the Westwood campus, which is where they treat um, the leukemias and things. So he had to sit in Santa Monica for a couple of days before we got moved again by ambulance. But, you know, Ryan took it all in, in stride. It was just like, you know, he was seeing all the nurses that he had just left before. Yeah. Everybody was coming in and saying hi. And it was just like, you know, it was like Mr. America all over again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the Westwood campus was a totally different feeling, a totally different um the and I don't know why that was. I don't know what it was. It was it, well, it's a big hospital. It, and yeah, and it felt like a hospital. It felt very stark. It was very, um, it was just hard. And and maybe because this is now our second, you know, time that we've had to do it. But um, Santa Monica was just 
very warm and fuzzy and everybody knew us and we knew them and they knew this story. And then we went to a whole nother one and a whole nother hospital, which was, you know, it seemed very, it was, I don't know. What was your feeling? Well, it was a different feeling because it's a big institution, if you will. You know, you're in the heart of the UCLA campus, which is a huge campus. Yeah. But through it all, didn't bother Ryan at all. He was, again, he had met new friends being nurses and doctors and everything else. It took a while for us to do that there, though. I mean, you know, it takes a while for you to get the routine down and know um, the nurses shifts and who, you know, it was, it wasn't, it, it didn't seem like it was as smooth as far as, you know, getting to know everybody. Um, and I have to say in my case, and I know I've told Steve this and that, you know, this completely changed my personality. I was, I'm a very outgoing person and love people and had been in, you know, the dental office for 25 years. And I was not there to make friends. I wasn't there to meet nurses. I wasn't there to meet people on our our floor. I really wasn't. I, I literally put my head down and knew that I had to walk this out with Ryan. And, and, um, and Steve totally took on this whole different personality that's not really characteristic of Steve is he was meeting everybody and, and, um, you know, wanted to know what was going on with the baby next door because here we are on the pediatric floor because that's what they do is they treat him, you know, as a pediatric. And so there's babies everywhere and it's so hard to watch this and so hard to watch your own kid, much less, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on with the, you know, the whole floor of, um, sick kids. It was just extremely, um, hard for me, because I knew that I was starting to, you know, have to analyze it internally. And, um, it's hard period to watch any of these kids. I mean, our son is, you know, 20 years old going through this, but to watch these babies and these young kids that don't understand what's going on. I mean, yeah, Ryan understood that he was sick. We understood that he was sick, but to, to watch these children, go through this and still have a smile on their face. It's amazing to me, but it breaks your heart. It totally breaks our, yeah. And like I said, I wasn't as outgoing or out friendly to these people just because I, I was struggling with what I had to deal with. And, um, and it was, you have to be in survival mode and, and that was how I survived. Whether you circled the wagons. Yeah. And you, you know, but with my background as a paramedic, that helped because I was able to talk to the doctors. I understood a lot more about what they were talking about and the anatomy and physiology of things yep. and, you know, not dealing with leukemias or cancers, but at least I had a foundation to go back on. Yeah. And so that was really helpful. But, it was extremely helpful. But the team at UCLA Santa Monica and UCLA Westward, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Hands down, we had the best care. I'm not saying that it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the great doctors, was, great nurses. Every, yeah, I mean, as a whole, everything was was a that was fine. It was just you know you were on this third floor and you know and you had people coming in and out with you know doctors and you know it is a teaching hospital so there was you know you had doctors all the time and then they would rotate and so some of your favorite doctors you wouldn't see for three weeks. Right. We wouldn't see them 
you know, for, for weeks. And then speaking of weeks, Ryan just had to stay there. I mean, we had, they would give him a prescribed round of chemotherapy and then he'd have to wait for his levels to come up. And no, he would wait for him to go down because basically what they were doing is they were trying to wipe it all out. Right. They were trying to wipe all of that out. And so and then they had to come up again the, yeah, to so, start the process all over again. Exactly. So it was like sometimes he'd get chemo for a week and then, you know, once a day. And then we would have to wait for three weeks for them right. to, to, tank and not have anything and that's where you're you have no immune system you have nothing and that's why you have to be in isolation so it that was it's intense it's super intense and and you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting and he's like i'm feeling great and then all of a sudden you're puking your guts out you know right and um and he wanted to and go fever home and and he, he wanted to just like okay let's get this over with let me have a break but with this particular leukemia he couldn't have those breaks because they needed to get this out of his system right. and then he needed a bone marrow transplant right right so i guess we can talk about the bone marrow transplant which was very interesting um they had told us that, you know, they're going to check Steve and I to see if we were, a, well, obviously we're a match, but we're not a hundred percent match, but they weren't really that concerned about that, but they wanted to go into the database to see if there was more of a match. Right. And, um, so our family, they actually did a bone marrow drive at the local high school and it was a huge deal. Right. Um, tons of people came and it was just, it's a swab of, in your mouth and then you send it in and um it, it it's good for everybody it's good for you know being in the database that if you can save a life that way it's it's wonderful but um there was no matches there was no matches in the local database or in the national, national database. database that's right and you know they tested us they also tested Aaron yeah but they said the likelihood of Aaron being a match for his brother was and I forget it's an astronomical odds. It's it's slim to none is right. what it was. It's, but both those boys knew that they were each other's match. It was unbelievable. Aaron in particular was like, "Well, I already know I'm a match," and they're like, "And I didn't want to tell like break his heart and say, well, usually you're not a match.' And with like if you ha- if we were to have six kids, they said maybe you might have one." that matches each other. But, um, but because we only had the two boys, it was, it was slim to none. Yeah. And we like your, your rational mind is thinking, Oh, well, why don't you test a cousin? And they're like, absolutely not. That's not how this works. It's basically, you know, it's so many things that they check. Well, um, and Aaron was, how old was he? Was he 17 at the time? He was a senior in high school. Yeah. So you're really not even supposed to be in the database until you're 18. But if you're a sibling, it doesn't matter. Right. So they, they checked him and lo and behold, they were right. Our miracle. Yep. Aaron yeah. was a, was a, a miracle. 100% match. 100% match. And I actually had the privilege of, um, because Ryan wanted to tell Aaron. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the car when I heard that conversation. And you know what? Some things are better not to hear. And that was a very intense moment, but it's private. And it was one of those things that was a super special thing and and a bonding moment for the boys. So anyway, it was um 
it was cool that I got to be a part of it, but it was something that I am going to keep private. So um, anyway, we knew it was a miracle. Aaron knew it was a miracle. And um, and so did Ryan. So um, that process started, which was um, actually pretty intense because they originally were telling Aaron that he would have to go through surgery right. and they'd get it out of his back. They would His hip. His hip, excuse me. Yeah. And so Aaron was pretty much... He he was okay with it. He was going to do whatever it took to heal his brother. Yeah. So that was um, ended up for whatever reason. Do you know why it changed? I don't even remember why it changed. No, I don't remember um, the specifics behind it. But he had to go through a bunch of shots to be able to be harvested, and it was a it was fairly it was uncomfortable for Aaron, but it was a Manageable. fairly you know simple process, if you will, because he just laid in a hospital bed and allowed the machines to basically filter his blood. And they pulled out, you know, everything that they needed for the bone marrow transplant. And that took what about five hours? Cause we yeah. were with Aaron. We, it was at the same hospital, but just in a different wing of the right. hospital. And um, yeah, we were there, we watched a movie and um, really wasn't painful for him at all. But um, no. it was incredible to watch. Right. It was super incredible because they they literally take all of your blood out of you and then put it back in twice and and then take obviously what they need, which was the bone marrow. And then Ryan didn't need it at the beginning. Like he didn't, he was, what was it? He was being, um, they ended up having to freeze it. Right. Right, but until he was ready, because until he was ready, that was it. During this process, Ryan ended up getting sick and had to go to ICU. So once he got better from ICU, then they were going to do the um, the transplant, which you have to get ready for the transplant. Right. So it's intense again, chemotherapy, um, trying to wipe out everything, and. Um, and then the bone marrow is supposed to take over. Right. And, and sometimes they give um, people a break depending on how they're doing. And Ryan was up for a break. He was actually going to get to go home for a week before the bone marrow transplant. And before that happened, he got those bumps all over his body. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And But they ended up, um, they ended up biopsying it. And, yeah, it was... they, and then they sent him home. And it turns out they didn't get all the leukemia. So the leukemia was back. That's right. And it had moved to his skin. Um, so they had to go through and do a another, another round. Another round of chemotherapy. But we found out all this because when Ryan got to actually go home for that week, I flew to Colorado to pick up his truck to bring his truck back. And they called me on the way home and told me that the leukemia was back and that, you know, he had to report on that next Monday. I think it was, they were going to give us that date. And I don't remember exactly what the date was. And, um, there was a lot of tears on the way home because, you know, we thought we had it and now we were starting all over again. Yeah. And, this, and again, when you start all over, it's a, it's a, almost a month process because again, you take chemo for a, for a week, then you're waiting for your numbers to go down. And then sometimes that takes three weeks. Everybody's different. So it's, right. it's, a, it's a process. Um, and mind you, this is months now. 
This is not, this is the, this has been months. So we have celebrated Ryan's birthday in the hospital, right. um, which was a huge tearjerker because um, I was about probably one of the only times that I can recall that he was in tears and um, it was a terrible birthday. He didn't feel well. Um, he was kind of at that level where he was starting to get sick and, um, and we had surprised him and Nana and Papa had brought Nicole there. Mm-hmm. And it was probably about seven o'clock at night, probably around dinner time. And just tears streamed down his face. And I know I had to take a little break because um, I didn't know I was going to get emotional. And I think he was just so excited to see her. And it was, you know, he. He, he didn't want to be there on his birthday. No. N- none of us did. No. So it was. um in between all of this is sounds like it's, you know, it's just flowed along, but it didn't, it was, it was very long and drawn out. So, um, you know, Thanksgiving we had in the hospital, um, Christmas we had in the hospital. We, we celebrated all the major holidays in the hospital and, um, and new year's Eve. Yeah. And then he had his bone marrow transplant on the fourth of wasn't it the 4th of January. January? That was his new birthday as they call it. And that was an interesting process as well is getting the, um, the bone marrow. Right. And, um, yep. So they ended up having, obviously it was being, fr- it was froze, which they were trying to prevent that from happening, but then they ended up having to freeze it. And, um, well they had to, because when the cancer came back underneath his skin, um, you know, they're, they're starting all over again and your, your body cannot tolerate that much. I mean, chemotherapy is poison and you know, the poison is meant to kill the, the bad cells and it's just so hard on a body. And so the fact that Ryan got to come home for that week was mentally, um, and physically for him was a whole nother level because he, he got a chance to recuperate, you know, him and Nicole went for walks and, and he finally got to go out and, and play with the dogs and, and, you know, go drive the four wheeler and do yeah. stuff that, that he Normal liked to, to him. Right. That he liked to do. So that was really good. But you know, when he had to go back and start all over again, I mean, it's spinal taps. It's, I mean, it's the whole procedure all over again. Yeah. Yeah. He was it, and we said this, he really never complained. He didn't say much. He, um, I mean, there was times where he would roll his eyes at us because he was tired of the environment. He was tired of that. So we would always try to bring new people in. And that was one of the things that, um, Steve and I would, um, come home on the weekends and do laundry and Nicole and her mom, Debbie would go in there on Saturdays and Sundays to help us out and also to have another, you know, just a change of scenery. And he loved spending time with Nicole. And at one of those visits, they, um, Nicole's mom is a teacher and she said to them, she says, you have an assignment. I want Ryan to write the book and I want Nicole to illustrate the book. And so that's your, that's your project. And, um, Ryan only spent two days in the hospital without someone. And this was one of and those it really days. wasn't even days. It was more like hours. hours. It was hours. Because somebody would leave 
Um, seven o'clock at night. Seven o'clock at night. So he'd spend the night by himself. And, and then, then we, we would were get there, there at, at seven o'clock the next morning. Yeah, it was literally. But this was one of those days that this happened because Nicole and her mom needed to come back home for whatever. And she texted me and said, okay, we're leaving at seven o'clock. Um, he's fine. Everything's going great. Um, he's going to call you if there's any problems. And I'm like, perfect. Okay, we'll be there in the morning. So um, he called it eight o'clock, nine o'clock, something like that. And he calls me and, you know, I'm freaking out and I'm like, hello. And he says, oh, mom, I wrote a book. I'm like, you did what? We were laughing. I was like, you did what? And he goes, I wrote a book. I wrote a children's book and um, I don't have a title. And I remember I go, well, let me put you on speakerphone. So um, he read the book to us and Steve said, well, I know what the, I know what the um, title should be. Toad's Code. So we had, he had, and then we we actually edited it in the hospital as well. So yeah. Nana helped edit it on probably he a He did holiday. the book no different than he did 17 Strong. He had complete, you know, control over it and made sure that it was all done. Oh yeah. So, he would tell Nicole, like, what are you doing? You need to, you yeah. need to finish that book. I want to see what the frog's going to look like. I want to see this. I want to see oh, that. Oh, and he was so. very particular and he would tell her, no, I don't like that. And you need to change this and you need to make his feet this way and make this that way. And so he did get to proof the frog and proof a lot of the storyboard, but it really wasn't done. It didn't even get, you know, it was kind of just preliminary stuff. So, um, which was neat because he was excited that, you know, he wrote this book in, um, in an hour, mind you. So all based off a game we used to play. We did. We used to play this little game and, um, around the dinner table. Get a copy of the toad's code. And see if you can figure out what the Toad's Code is. Yes. But it is it is a game. And, and there is a code. And there is a code. And once you figure it out, you will be playing it with your kids. Absolutely. And also, it was really cool because Nicole did put in the book hidden number 17s throughout the pages. So um, it's one of those books that you can reread and reread because when your kids get older, um, they can go find those and search for those 17. So it's really a great thing. Um, she ended up illustrating it for her senior project when she right. went to Cal Poly um, San Luis Obispo. And um, so it it is awesome. It's really, really a special book and it's super cute. And they did it together. They both really pulled on their strengths because um, she's super good at drawing and, and she's just an artist. She's really, she's really gifted. And Ryan's and, mind worked that way. Oh, totally. You know, when was, it was time for poems at school, he's like, just give me five minutes. I'll do this. And he was, that's how he thought. So he could do, he just did it. And that's really how he did think. So that was a super special um, tidbit. Okay. And with that, we are going to pause with the Toad's Code. And uh, we will come back in our next episode and talk more about Transplant Day, Ryan's new birthday, um, the ICU. 45 days of hell. Yeah. And the fight for his life and um, him earning his ultimate victory. So again, thank you for joining us on the 17 Strong Podcast. Remember... Attitude is everything. You've been listening to 17 Strong. Victories don't come by accident. To be part of the show, make a donation, or request more information, 
go to 17strong.org. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-E-E-N strong.org. 